0: At least, not in his original form, uh, that he believes there's more work to be done, and I'm kind of glad to hear that, to be honest, because I I really prefer to see the legislature act like the legislature. So, anyway, State Senator Chris Elliott will be on at four o'clock to talk about it. Uh, then I got a triple dipper full of stuff. Hit it, man!
1: The triple dipper, three stories you've got to know.
0: That's right, the Triple Dipper, three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, woke banking woes. That's uh, what's going on. I mean, it's all the rage. I'm watching it. It's on both screens right now up on the uh, uh, the wall here of the studio. Woke banking woes, the SVB bank out in California that uh, that died, second largest bank failure in the history of the United States, happened just last Friday. And the taxpayers, it looks like they're going to be bailing it out. We'll talk about why this happened. Part of my monologue and number one of the triple dipper, woke banking woes. Y'all stay tuned for that one. And then number two, an unholy alliance. You heard me. There's an unholy alliance brewing in the Middle East right now. Did you hear that China, in the wake of the Biden administration basically having no good foreign policy, China has suddenly assumed the role of being the mediator of Mideast peace? And we now have China brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Huh. Yeah, we'll talk about the unholy alliance as number two at the Triple Dipper. And then number three, I'm just calling it big fat money. Big fat money. I'm talking about fat money. So, yeah, the state is looking at spending a billion dollars this week. And then on top of that, you got counties and cities arguing over they tax dollars, and then you've got things happening like reparation discussions. And I'm thinking, what in God's name? We're just loaded down with big fat money. Apparently, when you can do stuff like that, we'll talk about it. Number three on the triple dipper. All right, let me jump over to my comments for the day, and um, it relates to the issue of the uh, the banking crisis. I say crisis. It's we're gonna weather this fine. I know it's still frustrating to watch, but there was a phrase that was first coined during the Clinton era. It's not a good one either. It dates back to our time in Somalia during the time frame encompassed by the infamous Battle of Mogadishu, which we now know as Black Hawk Down, in which 18 U.S. service members lost their lives and Alabama's own Mike Durant was taken as a POW for a period of time. The phrase is mission creep. The phrase was used for the first time in a New York Times article in October of 1993 in the aftermath of the battle. The U.S. and the United Nations had initially entered into Operation Restore Hope in the last days of 1992 under the first Bush presidency with an emphasis on humanitarian assistance. But when Clinton took office in early 93, he ceded over much of the military control to the U.N. on June 4th of 93. And the very next day, in what became known as Bloody Monday, Somali militia killed 23 Pakistani peacekeepers. So the U.N. then decided to morph the mission into one that involved attempting to capture those responsible for the deaths of the Pakistani soldiers. We went from supervising the distribution of food and aid to being assigned to work for the U.N. in full-on combat operations. But at the same time, the mission had creeped, but yet the mindset had not. I spoke once with Mike Durant about his experiences in Mogadishu, and I highly recommend his book, by the way. It's amazing to me that aside from the mission changing, that no one in the Clinton administration had any idea of the potential for negative outcomes because of the way they were conducting their policy. No one in the Clinton administration wanted to own the mission. U.S. forces were on the ground, and they did not have adequate air support. They didn't have adequate ground support. They didn't have indirect fire in the form of artillery or mortars. They were on the ground because the U.N., the guys in charge, wanted to minimize the military footprint and make it a capture mission as opposed to a killer capture mission. Well, by the time the Battle of Mogadishu was over, an estimated 700 to 1,000 Somali militia were dead. Eighteen U.S. Army Rangers or Special Operations soldiers were dead, with numerous others wounded. Two days later, another Delta Force operator was killed in a mortar attack. Multiple citations for valor in combat were awarded to include two posthumous Medals of Honor for Delta Operators Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart, who saved Mike Durant's life when his Super Six Black Hawk was shot down. Now, that's a heck of a body count for a humanitarian aid mission, right? Well, you can attribute all of that to mission creep. Now, I'm not so naive as to try and portray what happened in Somalia in 1993 might not have some other explanations. But I also know, too, the best laid plans never survive first contact with the enemy. Sometimes you have to pivot. Sometimes you have to change the dynamic. Sometimes you move the mission. But that's different. That's not mission creep. Mission creep occurs when you have a gradual or incremental expansion of a mission beyond its original or intended scope, a creep that occurs because of lax policies and lazy leadership and outright negligence. Mission creep occurs when, generally speaking, there is some cataclysmic moment that creates a terminal event, something bad that occurs that wakes everyone up and unfortunately also too often results in the loss of life, limb, or property. Now transfer the phrase mission creep to corporate America. And you may have an explanation for the failure late last week of SVB Bank. If you haven't been tracking the news on this story, then just know this. One of the largest bank's failures in the history of the United States occurred late last week as the federal regulators woke up and realized that mission creep had laid hold of SVB Bank and that billions, literally billions in assets were at risk. Why? Why? Because it appears the leadership of SVB had bought into the idea that their job did not include maximum return for shareholders. SVB did not appear as concerned with its original mission to safeguard assets and ensure adequate capitalization. No, SVP leadership was distracted because they had become entrenched in woke capitalism. They leaned on the mantra that environmental social governance, or ESG criteria, carried weight sufficient to make their mission creep away from the safe and reasonable confines of actual banking. SVB so committed to ESG and its progeny, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI, that it had DEI efforts underway until the very end, but did not have a corporate regulatory compliance officer on its staff for the whole of its last year of existence. How can it be that a major regional bank can have so many red flags? But yet no one at the Fed or the regulatory agencies responsible for ensuring that mission creep does not occur in the banking world, that no one at the Fed or those various agencies caught this early enough in order to stop it. It's a reasonable question. It's one that needs to be asked because now, now in the wake of this debacle, the taxpayers are being asked to foot the burden and to bail out SVB Bank. Perhaps the answer to the real and needed question as to why federal regulators didn't intervene early when the warning signs were obviously there is because those same federal regulators have been pushing the same woke dogma down to the banks like SVB ever since Biden took office. This strange kabuki dance of wokeness is everywhere. And the Biden administration has made no bones about it. Everyone is to get on board. Maximizing shareholder profits, ensuring sound banking, good corporate policies, those take second place, or third, or fourth, in favor of wokeness in the form of ESG and DEI. It is mission creep in the corporate world. And just like in the military settings where the phrase was first coined, mission creep is dangerous. Life, limb, and property is at risk when there is mission creep, and SVB Bank is living proof of that very fact. We have got to get our corporate world back to its primary missions. We have to realize that command and control in the corporate world means as much in their bottom lines as it does for battlefield commanders who have to bring home all their troops. We cannot just allow neat ideas and lazy leadership and wonky policies to dictate the manner in which corporate America, to include banks, does its business. There is no wisdom in mission creep. This move to wokeness, this ESG and DEI madness, is not vested in wisdom. It is a mission creep that does not reflect the original mission in any way, and it is dangerous, and it can ruin lives. Woke mission creep. That's where we are. Woke mission creep, and it has to stop. And it has to stop now. And that's a wrap for The Right Side Way. Well, I got more on that topic. But yeah, that's so listen, if you are a bank that is failing, maybe it's not time to have, you know, gay pride activities and send all the women uh, who work for your bank on a special outing to celebrate you know, the, 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 the womanhood month or whatever. I mean it just it goes on and on. Where was your compliance officer? Oh, that's right, you didn't have one, but you did have a DEI officer. Well, that makes no sense. All right, folks. We'll talk about it in detail. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Uh, before we go any further, I've got to point out to you, uh, Boomer, that uh, Auburn made March Madness. Uh, oh, we, they just, did. Didn't, we
2: know what Alabama just, did, too.
0: Oh, I, heard, and, <laughs> I think I heard something about that.
2: March Madness
0: is coming up. this it's like The brackets came soon. out last night. Like, yeah. Like, wow. In fact, I got a text over here. I just realized John from Huntsville says, hey, Phil, Auburn did make march madness tournament what see he was excited about it too thank you john appreciate you very much
2: oh uh, wh- okay what if i okay i got an idea i i like oh march madness. Lord, it's
0: scary when you get I ideas know, i know
2: i like march madness i like doing brackets i actually i only follow a little bit through the whole season but march madness i'm sure just like many others just love march madness what if we did a right side ruffian bracket
0: what? Yeah. Like get everybody involved, you mean? Yeah, get anybody that wants to jump in on a bracket. So I've only done a bracket involved. like once or twice myself. I've only done fantasy football once or twice. Um, I will admit, I did fairly well every time I tried. See, then you do awesome I don't, do don't want to awesome brag or anything, but there you have it.
2: If McQueen joins you, just choose them by the colors.
0: I'm going to tell her you said that. <laughs> she, she's, she's already heard it. She probably already has. Uh, but <laughs> but it would be fun. So how would how would we okay all right all right now everybody's intrigued. everybody out there in ruffian land listen up especially even doesn't matter if you're a big basketball fan here's no, a thing just so how, just for fun how would we do this if well, we're gonna get everybody involved we can't like keep track we don't have a big enough whiteboard to keep track of <laughs> you don't do stuff. that
2: anymore it's a, it's all on an app and there there's a March Madness app. oh I'm
0: feeling so old right now
2: <laughs> there's a March Madness app and so um, I could actually um, figure it out put a link on I, our website and they all they have to do is go click it. And then they fill out, you know, they just choose the teams they want to choose
0: all the way through. And, and all right, so and they can't go back in and change it as, as Correct. like oh wait, Once
2: be. once the first game starts, the bracket is it's closed so it's and locked, locked out. Yeah.
0: All right, this is not on a gambling site. No, or, no, no, no.
2: No no gambling. So you here. actually have you actually
0: have an app. Mhm. Well, so, I don't.
2: It's March the March Madness. I, I app. feel like
0: the old man going, <laughs> how's that work? Get off my grass. That's what I feel right now. We don't have to do it on a whiteboard. Because the phone. last bracket I did, we had to print it out on the paper copier, you know, at at work, and everybody had a stubby pencil or a pen, and you wrote in your stuff, had to give it to the secretary, so you couldn't change it later. Now, now you're now, telling me I can have it on just, my
2: phone, it's just on your phone, and you can check every, after every game to see where you're at in the in the rankings. It's kind of fun.
0: Okay, so so basically, what you're telling me is you're going to get all the if we do this. If we do this, all right. We, we are not fully sanctioned yet, but if we do this, <laughs> if we do this and we say the March Madness Bracket, the Right Side Ruffian March Bracket, yeah. March Madness Bracket, that people can just download the app to their phone, do their own, and, and we're going to have a group. You're going to set up a group that they all jump in on? That's and, right. Oh, really? Yes. So the so Boomer will set it up. Yeah. And everybody can who wants to participate downloads the app.
2: Downloads the app and, and then clicks and we may my have, little link we may and they're have, good to go.
0: Just me and you in it, or it we may, may, or we may have three thousand people. For yeah, all we know, it may
2: it may just be you and I. maybe may Alicia in there well, too.
0: That's the case. I'm going to win.
2: Yeah, uh, I I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know about I that. I feel a box of maple bacon donuts <laughs> coming up. All right. So all
2: right. If if we do get a lot of people, we would have to get a prize. I say,
0: if we get very few people, we get a prize.
2: Uh, if it's just you and I, we could do the maple bacon donuts. Absolutely. But
0: <laughs> so okay. So so bottom line is, uh, if we do this, we got to have some prizes. Yes. All right. I know we have new t shirts coming.
2: We do have new T shirts coming. They'll <whistles> be All right, so, be here we, soon. so
0: new T shirts will be here shortly. These are the ones we order some that just flat out say right side ruffian on them, didn't we? Oh yeah, right side ruffian. Don't they on have it. kind of a, almost like a military look
2: to them? It's, it's the military green with black right. It's gonna they're gonna
0: See, many of you don't know that in one of <laughs> Boomer's many lives he 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 had a t shirt business. And yes. So he knows all about this stuff. Yes. So I don't I don't even I don't even question. I just say get her done and he's he's he gets it done. All right, so the new T-shirts are going to be here soon, so we can definitely make we can throw some we can throw some swag in on T-shirts. We could, and I think we may need to find some more swag and build up a little uh, a little uh, little party basket. But here's okay. All right, we got a problem though. I, I got a question. What's that? I mean, what happens if we have three thousand people doing it and and twelve hundred of them pick the same bracket and oh. we have twelve hundred winners?
2: Well, there we is a tie- 1, <laughs> There is a tiebreaker on the app. So once you pick all your teams. And then the uh, the final championship game. After you pick who's both there, and the winner, you actually have to pick the score as well. So oh. so then it really it it's very. I'm so then it very weeds it down from twelve
0: hundred to seven hundred. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> everybody picked the same score,
2: but it also is point is point per people that win, like whatever game. All right, and can we see it?
0: Can, yes. can we sit on the on the on the air on the show? Oh, we can see it, and and you can say so far. You know, we still have X number of people in the bracket that yes. are still going. Okay, I'm liking this. I,
2: it would be a lot of fun. And again, if it's just you and I, I'd be like, hey, I'm winning right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> have you realized that for the last five minutes, you and I just sat here like spitballing out loud about how to do a March Madness bracket? Oh, my
2: goodness. I this I, is mean, the best. I enjoy that. I this love is the best it. job all in all the all world. Right. It's okay, awesome. Okay,
0: <laughs> so all right. All right, so uh, I, I hereby announce. That by tomorrow, Boomer, can you have it ready tomorrow? Can I can have... have it ready tomorrow. All right. So that by tomorrow, we will come on the air, and the Boom Shackalacka will announce the means by which you will join the right side ruffian bracket. Yes. And you will have from tomorrow afternoon until when will they lock it? Thursday uh, first it, game?
2: Uh, it'll be locked on the the beginning of the first so, game.
0: So jump ball first game, we're locked in. That's right. All right. Um,
2: okay. That's going to be fun. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. All these, all the ruffians should join in. Now I gotta study. And even I, if you don't even
0: I enjoy have, basketball, it's just to be fun. I've not even paying a bit of attention. So now I gotta go back and review and <laughs> figure things out. You're gonna get,
2: you're gonna get pulled not, in. Not, sucked in. not be the radio show host <laughs> who got
0: dropped out on the first day.
2: And I uh, totally went off. We totally went off on the ruffian or March Madness rant. We did. I know. And now we're about to go to break in probably like
0: 20 seconds. All right. No worries. All right. So, tomorrow, folks, we're going to come on the show. And probably during the same portion of the show, after I finish my monologue, the Boomer will have the information on the app you can download, the name of the bracket so you can get in it. Pick your teams. We'll lock it in by a certain time. And then we will have prizes. Prizes, I tell you. Prizes. Prizes. We'll have right side swag as we get down to the end of March Madness. I like it. I like Uh, it a lot. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, and Boomer, the app man. We'll be right back. Right side ruffians out there. You are listening to right side radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, right side radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the most beautiful state in the nation, Alabama. I'm talking about we go way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Uh, I'm loving the, the text line blew up uh, on the uh, March bracket <laughs> thing. So uh, It did. It did. So uh, I'm looking at, uh, by the way, if you want to text in, here's the number, 833-687-4448. That's 833 68 um, sorry, Here's one text uh, <laughs> I showed Boomer a minute ago. Uh, State Representative Ernie Yarbrough just texted me, apparently listening. Uh, Representative Yarbrough, appreciate you. He says, you better include me on those. And then there's three emojis, (laughs) a maple leaf, bacon strips, (laughs) and a donut. That is clever. So, yeah, you better include me on those maple bacon donuts, says uh, State Rep Yarbrough. We are in, man. We got you one. Uh, What else have I got in here? Uh, Brian from Huntsville says, uh, bankers need to join the bracket. Perhaps they can learn math. <laughs> uh, Ann from Huntsville, with regards to getting some swag there for the winner, she goes, new apparel. Um, Dan Daniel from Tullahoma, he said, March Madness idea. Each bracket will cost $5. The second best bracket will get their money back. First place wins the rest. That's, see, Everybody, there's always a way to gamble on this oh, stuff. Oh, <laughs> There's always. <laughs> uh, Richard from Madness says, your prize needs to be a dozen maple bacon doughnuts. You'll get thousands of participants. <laughs> I'm saying. Send them a, I'm just, send them a dozen maple I'm just bacon saying. donuts. Charlene, Charlene got some the other day. Uh, my she, daughter and son-in-law were coming to the house to stay the weekend, and, and uh, she, she brought home maple bacon. I was like,
2: oh, man, that's man. awesome.
0: Uh, Brandy from Athens says, coffee mug. So we may have to make that happen, Boomer. Okay. I, I, think, I think we're overdue for some coffee I, mugs. I like it. We're gonna have to set up some shelves in the swag room.
2: We are. Uh,
0: Susan from Elkmont, what's she got here? Let me see what I said. Yada 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 yada. I can't. I don't know what she's saying. Um, okay, I, Susan, I'm sorry, but you're referencing something, and I can't see what it is you're referencing, so I have no idea how to answer your question. So I'll just have to wait till that one. Maybe you can give me a clarification. JT from Lacey Springs, Boomer, is there an app for completed or completing dippers? <laughs> Fr- <laughs> Friggin' JT.
2: Uh, Just
0: just getting no respect whatsoever. All right, let me jump over to uh, number one of the Triple Dipper, since JT's going to harass me. (laughs) Number one of the Triple Dipper, I'm calling this the Woke Banking Woes. Woke Banking Woes. I reached out to uh, Senator Katie Britt's office. Uh, For those who don't know, Senator Britt, um, she actually is a member of the Senate Banking Committee. So I I texted with her her staff uh, over the weekend, and asked if they had the ability to get her on the air today. And unfortunately, she was in uh, meetings at the same time as the show. And uh, But they said, we can send you a statement. So sure enough, they did. So I got a text uh, from Sean Ross, uh, her director of communications. So I'm going to start off this by, by reading uh, a message that I received directly today from uh, Senator Britt's office about the SVB bank crisis, the issues surrounding all of this. And then I'm going to dig into it more with a bunch of news stories. So here's what she said. Quote, my office and I have been in contact with federal financial regulators since Friday, and we continue to closely monitor the situation. The public deserves full transparency and accountability without regards to partisanship. And it's unacceptable. Here you go. It is unacceptable. that This administration excluded Senate Republicans, including those on the Senate banking committee from Sunday night's bicameral member briefing right now says we have more questions than answers. Why did regulators not see this coming? Did Silicon Valley's focus on ESG distract from their fiduciary responsibilities in turn contributing to its collapse? Ultimately, she says, American taxpayers should not have to foot the bill for bank executives' mismanagement and regulators' failure. I will continue to support the strength of our financial system, which is crucial to hardworking families, small businesses, retirees, and communicators or communities in every corner of our nation. Good, Good statement. And some of that is what I expected to hear. The part that I did not expect to hear was the fact that all the emergency meetings yesterday, bicameral meetings, meaning there were House and Senate members called in to meet with the administration last night about this, you know, potential crisis. They did not include Republicans to include members of the Senate Banking Committee. Y'all, that's that's freaking amazing. Here we are. The, the So if you're not familiar, SVB Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, is the 17th largest bank in the entire nation. And their failure on Friday became the second biggest bank failure in the history of the United States. That happened on Friday. It had ripple effects. The market was going to open this morning with the expectation that there were going to be banking shares that plummeted. Some did. And there was also very deep concern that people were going to make a run on the banks because of just generalized panic. What happens to my money? I'll go take it out. And then next thing you know, and everybody knows, and I, I, I know I'm speaking to a bunch of educated people here, but just I'll to say it anyway to give background to my, my my comments here. Banks don't have everything that they say they have in hand at the moment. They have to leverage, invest, store over here, move over there. Next thing you know, it's, it's kind of like that scene from uh, It's a Wonderful Life where they were making a run on the bank, and 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 Jimmy Stewart's character is going, Your money's not here in my hands. Your money's in his house. And and his house is financed by that guy over there's money. And that's the way it works. It's all leveraged, but it's available because they recognize that not everybody's going to want their money back all at the same time. Well, last week, it became obvious SVB Bank was getting unstable for reasons I'll go into in a minute. But as SVB Bank began to get unstable, people began to make a run on the bank. Literally pulling their deposits or shifting them to more stable platforms that the bank then couldn't use as, you know, banking leverage and other issues. And the FDIC had to just jump in there and put a freeze on it and lock the place down and take over the bank and put it in receivership. The 17th largest bank in the entire nation is now the second largest bank failure in the history of the nation. So, these red flags have been there, though. That's the maddening piece. Like Senator Brett's statement said, why is this happening the way it is? Why did this happen? And, and by the way, where are all the people that are supposed to be watching this and, 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 and making sure that it's not going to happen? Where were they? Because we are supposed to have safeguards in place. We're supposed to have regulatory agencies who take up a lot of space But are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Got a story here from Fox Business. It points out in the opening paragraph what I said a moment ago. This is the 17th largest bank, now the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history. It was a management issue. They seriously did not have a cash. They had a serious cash shortage on hand because they did not do a good job of managing their flow. And and here's the reason. here's, Here's what we believe Here are the market forces that drove it, all right? Now, there's management forces and market forces. And then I would also point out there are what I would call administration, Biden administration forces. The article points out in response to the worst inflation in 40 years, which we've been in, which is part of the Biden economy, the Federal Reserve undertook one of its most aggressive rate hiking programs in history. Okay, remember that. You've seen it. The Fed's raising the rates, trying to trying to bring down the inflation that has been brought up by the Biden overspending and the Biden, you know, poor decision making. And it says that as the Fed raised its rates in response, U.S. investors began to sell down their stocks. And the S&P went off by like 18 percent in 2022. The Nasdaq dropped by 33 percent. It was also, by the way, the worst year ever for U.S. bonds. So the bond index was down 13 percent. And then there was trillions of dollars in government spending that kept going on anyway, which meant that banks were getting a flush with cash situation where people were depositing more money because they had more money because the federal government kept flooding the market with money. And so all these influx of deposits began, so what did they do? So as I understand it, and I'm not an expert on this, by the way. I'm not. But as I understand it, banks like SVB began to put a lot of their investments into treasury bonds. And then lo and behold... The bonds became, the bond market became a really bad place to have had your money. U.S. banks took something like a $600 billion hit last year in losses. Meanwhile, SVB should have done the smart thing. They should have moved things out of some of those risky investments they had made with their leverage, with their money. But they didn't. And as rates began to go up and people began to require more of their cash in order to make ends meet because the price of eggs and bacon went up, you've got literally portfolio losses, big time. People are pulling money out of their retirement accounts and and making fewer deposits into the bank, which means the SVB suddenly found itself over-leveraged and under-capitalized and unable to make things work, and they failed. And what's, what's, what's flying a little bit under the radar is they're not the only bank. Another much smaller bank called Signature Bank out of New York also collapsed on Sunday. So then you got to look at it and go, well, what the heck? Where are the people who are supposed to be watching this? Well, you got the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which was created in after, 2010 after the, uh, two, the 2008 financial crisis. It was meant to avert this sort of thing. They're supposed to watch this stuff. They're supposed to see the trends and, and, and sort of recognize when banks are not heading in the right direction and put out regulatory you know, options and, and oversight. Do it. The council, by the way, that council is chaired by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Biden's appointee, Fed Chairman Powell, the head of the FDIC, the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection, the head of the SEC. These are like big-name people. At top of the list, by the way, is Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Well, what was that council doing? Well, on February 10th, they had their big video conference. They all got together on Zoom. And they talked about how important it was to pay attention to climate-related financial risks. Yeah, you heard me. The regulatory bodies that oversee this stuff, that are supposed to catch it before it happens. They are focusing on what they called climate change, being an emerging threat to our U.S. financial stability. Well, I'm pretty sure that's not what caused SVB Bank to go down, except that SVB Bank definitely got caught up in what you might call woke policies. So all of this was potentially foreseeable. There's never been, this article points out that I got from Fox Business, it's a great article, it's one of the best ones i found, Headline on it is Silicon Valley Bank had more red flags than a CCP meeting. That's a great line. But they point out there's never been a rate tightening cycle like what we're in right now without there being financial shock, which means that smart people who are in charge of smart stuff like this are supposed to be making this a little more foreseeable. When you have rate hikes, it drains liquidity out of the system, and you've got to know that stuff's going to happen. And so you put out advisories, and you say, hey, don't over-leverage. What happened? Nothing. Nothing. Too busy focusing on climate change. And so SVP, SVP failed. Um, we're going to talk about this in detail, like, you know, the fact that, oh, I don't know, SVP uh, started selling off its shares. Woo-hoo! Or how about the fact that we got, uh, um, you know, Gay Pride Week activities at, at SVB when they were should have been focusing on regulatory burdens. I got to call her. I got about a minute before the break, so I'll do that real quick. Is that is that Wolverine Dan? Wolverine Dan, how you doing, buddy? I got about a minute. What you got?
1: Well, you know, first off, that lady's name is Yelling. Her name should be Whisper because you only hear a peep from that idiot. Okay, all right. <laughs> and the bottom line is this: you know, oh, no responsibility. What it is, my friend? Okay, yeah. I, uh, first off. Yeah, you know, they're going to bail us out. You know, don't worry about the money. We will just do bad investments. We'll spend money like crazy. Oh, we'll print some more. You know, know, I live in California. Hey, I got to take a crap. Just let me go on the street crap. You know, whatever. You know, it's things like that. There's no responsibility. My gosh. I cannot believe every day it seems to be getting worse and worse. And then there's old guys like me. They're losing their freaking mind. And I, I, sometimes I kind of wish that I didn't hear it or I forgot about it. I like, you know, because this is just frustrating as all get up, but then other people listen to this and it's like, it's nothing, whatever, you know, uh, let me just go inside my Monopoly game and, you know, get the uh, uh, free pass to go and grab a couple fake dollar bills and I'm good to go.
0: It's, tr- it's true, man. And I tell you what, I, somebody's head needs to roll in this, and I'm afraid what they're going to wind up doing is just making the bosses at SVB Bank the uh, scapegoats, whereas really it was policies being pushed all the way down from the Fed that what, were, it, it were in part uh, of, of what this the demise was.
1: Real, real quickly before you leave, listen, yeah. bottom line is this. They, there's so much corruption going on, and when they do get in trouble and they do point the finger at the person, and that is the person that did whatever they did. Most likely, uh, somebody, a couple lower's level than them will get in trouble. They will never get in trouble. They get spanked out of hand, give them their retirement, and send them home. Boy, give me discipline like that all day long.
0: <laughs> Wolverine, Dan, we got to go, buddy. Appreciate you calling in, making your points. Uh, all right, Boomer. Take me to a break, man. We'll do it right now. I ran about a minute and a half long, so we'll come back, have a short segment. But we're not done with this. We got to talk about this. It's uh, Woke Banking Woes. Some of what I'm about to read out to you is going to make you mad. Brace yourselves. We'll be right back. We are back. Phil Williams, right side. Best bumps, man. The best bumps in radio, Boomer. Best bumps. You got bumps (laughs) down to a side. Boomer bumps. Boomer bumps are a science around here, and you are the scientist of Boomer bumps. Um, Liking it. Uh, We're back, by the way. Right side radio. Uh, Hey, listen, by the way, uh, we're about to head into a, uh, top of the hour break at the next top of the hour break, four o'clock. Don't forget state Senator Chris Elliott, uh, who serves down in the Baldwin County area. He'll be, he'll be here talking about the fact that they're about to be spending a billion with a B, a, 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 a billion of your dollars down in Montgomery. Um, trying to figure out how best to spend it. Well, it's interesting how that's working out. So we'll talk to state Senator Chris Elliott at four o'clock. Um, yeah, got some new textures. brand new texture, Mike from Birmingham. We'll see what he's got on here. He says, uh, "As a 1964 graduate of Lincoln, Alabama High School, I would point out to one of the people involved in the brackets discussion, <laughs> grammatically speaking, it is not always you and I. Many times it is you and me. Just saying, I'm not sure what he's saying. I think he's just trying to be grammatically correct. Is he just is he just punking us on the grammar, Bud? Is that what he's saying? Uh,
2: probably. I'm not too great at grammar, so right. it was probably me." <laughs>
0: Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. (laughs) Maybe just talk about the topics and quit worrying about the grammar. But okay, we got it. TL from Huntsville says, audit the Fed. I get you. I agree. Barry from Fultondale just says, uh, Janet, our Treasury secretary, was over in Ukraine telling them we're behind them all the way, no matter what the cost. And he said it was sickening. On the Tucker Carlson show, it showed her telling Ukraine she was speaking for Biden, whatever it cost. And he just goes on to say, he doesn't think she knows her backside from a hole in the ground. Yeah, I, uh, I tend to agree. She's not, she's not a confidence-inspiring person, too. One would have to believe that there's something behind those eyes, right? Like there's, there's some gray matter in there that's firing because she is the Treasury Secretary. <laughs> that is an assumption because when she talks, she does not inspire confidence at all. She got kind of a low-key, kind of a mumbly, st- st- stutter of words, kind of, you know, not not stuttering like a speech impediment, stuttering like trying to find the word because you're nervous kind. it just, she does not aspire confidence whatsoever. Um, Brian from Huntsville, Texas says, are Joe and Hunter going to use this crisis to launder some money? Yeah. <laughs> And he says, I don't, by the way, on, on a total aside here, is I don't see the Wolverines on the bracket. I hope Wolverine Dan still participates. <laughs> well, he's an honorary Alabama guy, so he can pick a team. Oh, yeah. uh, anyway. All right. Hey, listen, we got plenty more. I got a lot more on this woke banking thing, like the fact that that's not the only bank. Let me talk about that real quick as we head towards the break. So it, it wasn't just SVB. A second bank got into the same position, much smaller in scale, but it's a New York-based bank called Signature Bank. And it was shut down over the weekend to protect its own consumers and the financial system. So that came in the same, you know, time frame as an announcement from Janet Yellen that she was she was working on solutions. But at first, Janet Yellen was saying, "We're not going to be bailing out the. We're going to keep it. The FDIC is going to do what it usually does. We're not going to bail out that bank entirely." That changed in a matter of hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's a Treasury Secretary. And apparently she got out over her skis because within hours of her saying, we're not going to do that, they're doing that. And the announcement was made in time for the markets to open this morning and not be freaked out. That's amazing. All right, folks, more on that. We're going to come back and talk about woke banking woes. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. You right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio Solid Conservative, just plain right.
1: You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio solid conservative and just plain right
0: Alabama's syndicated news talk leader Right Side Radio Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios for our number 2 local state national international sometimes we cover all the issues man solid conservative and just plain right so uh, going back to our topic at hand, woke banking woes, I was talking about Secretary, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, right before the break, and uh, Hans from Biloxi, Mississippi, just texted in and said, uh, Yellen sounds more like Pelosi after her midday martini lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so I mean, sometimes I read these texts we get from our, our, our listeners, and I wish I had thought to say those things. <laughs> yes. Some of them are quick. <laughs> some of them, man. Some of them, yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Listen, the White House has already announced that they're going to bail out the bank. All right. So it, it's it's changing the dynamic. Let me let me look through my stack here and find one in particular where Janet Yellen says, here it is, Reuters. Yesterday afternoon, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Sunday said she was working closely with banking regulators to respond to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and protect depositors, but a major bailout was not being considered. Her quote, let me be clear that during the financial crisis... I'd say it like her. Let, 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 let me be, be, be clear that during the... I'd have to read it like that. Anyway, I'm not doing that. There were investors and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out, and the reforms that been put in place means we are not going to do that again. But we are concerned about depositors and are focused on trying to meet their needs. She went in to talk about the fact that this is an FDIC-insured bank. FDIC does not mean they insure every dime. FDIC means they insure up to $250,000 of your regular reg, your, your accounts. So if you've got $300,000, the best you're going to get is $250,000 under the FDIC. Nope, not anymore. Epoch Times reports that as of late last night, it says banking regulators announced an emergency measure on Sunday to fully protect the deposits of Silicon Valley Bank. Huh, funny how that changed. So the Treasury Secretary, the Treasury Secretary of the whole United States says, ain't going to happen. We're not going to do it. We don't do that kind of thing. No, we've learned our lesson. Not going to do it. Within hours, it's (laughs) it's being reversed. It says, U.S. Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, and the FDIC have revealed the plan in a joint statement. Today, we are taking decisive actions to protect the U.S. economy by strengthening public confidence in our banking system. (laughs) It's it's wonderful, but pray tell, what does this mean to the taxpayer? Currently, the maximum amount of protection provided by the FDIC to any one depositor is $250,000. However, under the new plan, all, I've emphasized all deposits, both insured and uninsured, will be protected. Well, you know, first of all, I will say this. I'm so glad for the people who have money in that bank. I'm glad. But I I have to also point out, this was foreseeable, and this just changes the dynamic. When you've got the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, already in place, and it has the means to cover up to $250,000 of individual deposits, suddenly they're going to come back and say, whether you are insured or uninsured in your deposits, no matter what amount you have, we're going to cover it all. Guess who's paying for that? The taxpayer. We're talking about right now, this article says the Treasury Department will make available up to $25 billion from the exchange stabilization fund as a backstop for the, uh, the bank. So, so it's getting bailed out. I just saw a moment ago on the screen, by the way, uh, the White House is trying to play this down and say this is not a bailout. Well, then what is it? What they're trying to say—I haven't—I haven't heard the statement, but here's what I'm predicting. I'm going to go find it in a little bit during a break. What I'm predicting is they're saying that the bailout is not saving the bank; it's going away because SVB Bank is going to be no more. It's not even going to be SVB Junior or 2.0. It's going to—it's going to be bought out. There's going to be somebody steps in. The question I have is, are they going to let a Chinese bank do it? But I guarantee you some major, huge nationwide corporate bank or some other major portfolio is going to buy up SVB and and take it on as one of their own and make it part of their system. That's probably what's going to happen. In the meantime, though, the bank's not getting bailed out. Yes, they are, because they'd never get bought if it weren't for this. If it weren't for taxpayer dollars being slung into this thing, and just, just tranches of money because of bad, woke investing, because of ridiculous management, because the FDIC didn't do its job. Now the taxpayers will do their job for them. Uh, line one, let me grab that real quick. Line one, uh, Mike from Huntsville. Hey, Mike, how you doing?
3: Hi, Phil. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm
0: good. I'm good. What's on your mind? Uh, I was
3: wanting to know, have you heard of a CBDC? Uh,
0: I I may have, but I'm not sure about the acronym. What do you mean? Central Bank Digital Currency. Oh, yes, I have. Yes, I have.
3: Okay. Uh, how do you think this event uh, plays into the, all that? I guess what I'd like to know and hear more from you, since you have a large audience in the valley and the area, is um, – what are your recommendations to people to avoid the CBDC?
0: Well, you, you're asking me to get into a topic that I'm not fully prepared to talk about yet. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm here talking about you know, bailing out banks in California. But, but my, my, here, here's the first the first thing that I would say to that. Extreme caution when the two first words are central bank. All right. So when you, when you start pulling things in to a government-sanctioned centralized authority, you have the opportunity then, especially when it's digital, to have them turn off your currency because you've done something they don't like. So if we get down to the point that someone has got a red flag law that says, you know, hey, that guy can't buy guns and they think you're buying guns and they decide to turn you off. I'm I'm I'm, throw, I'm, I'm giving you some wing ding ideas here, but the reality is when you jump into something that starts off with the phrase centralized bank, be very wary. That's my first thought. Uh, Mike, well, go I, ahead.
3: I was going to say I fully agree with you. Uh, My only concern is that there are no alternatives right now. It looks like we're headed directly for it. And the only lifeboat that I can make out is something like Bitcoin. Well, and people listening can snuff at that, but I'm pretty convinced they're going to end up using a CBDC or Bitcoin. Well, we've got right now. They need to make their choice.
0: We've got multiple states right now. My understanding, multiple states are passing state laws to prevent CBDC, centralized banking, digital currency. Uh, And we'll see how that plays out. Mike got another call on the line. I got to run get it real quick. Thanks for the call. Uh, Line two. Is that Brian? Brian from Huntsville. How you doing, buddy?
3: Yes, and the other gentleman, made,
4: Mike, I guess it was, made the preface to that as far as the CBDC because I'm wondering <clears throat> how much this is going to push that forward. But remember, back in a day, states had their own currency. Oh
0: yeah,
4: they're trying to push us to a cash <clears throat> a cashless society, to where they can keep track of everything and control it, like both of you gentlemen just said.
0: Well, and I, I, but, I don't disagree. In fact, I, my conspiracy theory side of me just wonders: was this bank allowed to fail? As a you know, some a precursor to a need for this, if you know what I mean.
4: Well, it's in California. Why
0: shouldn't they allowed to fail? <laughs> Sorry, I just wrote that out there. You have a good one. Sir. You too, buddy. Bye. See you. Oh man, I'm telling you right now. But yeah, we are. We're looking, and, and that's that's it's, it's 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 very scary when you look at the fact that they're talking about. And I appreciate Mike from Huntsville. It's not, I, I can't go fully into the CBDC. I'm not prepared for that right now. My stack of stuff sitting here in front of me is related more to banking failures. But I do not deny that between Mike and Brian right there, it brings up the thought, hmm, one more reason why they can call for centralized authority to control your assets. Well, and, and let me point out this too before I go to the break. National Review has a piece dated yesterday. Headline of it is Silicon Valley Bank Depositor Bailout Makes Mockery of Too Big to Fail. By the way, you see it, they're calling it a bailout. SVB Bank has now sort of broken the mold. I pointed out a minute ago that the FDIC guarantees deposits up to $250,000. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the system. That's what we all live under. That's the risk. If you've got all your money, that's why you see people that that diversify their portfolio or they diversify their deposits. When you've got that many assets, you start putting some here, some there because you don't want one to go down and you lose everything. Well, it says regulators are not stepping in to rescue SBB as an institution, but yet the Treasury Department, the Fed, the FDIC have announced they will make sure that all depositors at SVP, actually the people, the the bank, the the people who hold the dollars in their name uh, will have access to all of their money on Monday, even if those deposits exceed $250,000. Here's the key point. Defenders of this decision will try to make it seem like it's an extraordinary one-off decision, but in practice, it has now created a huge moral hazard by signaling that the $250,000 FDIC limit does not really exist in practice. The clear signal it sends is that when financial institutions make poor decisions, the government will swoop in to clean up the mess no matter what the regulations or law says. Well, I'm going to come right back and give you some things that will make you mad about what they were doing at the bank as they were just literally torching their portfolio. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe they were paying out big bonuses on the day it collapsed. (laughs) Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Still in number one of the Triple Dipper. Going to wrap this one up in this section and move. Next uh, Next half hour, we'll be talking about what I call the unholy alliance that's occurring right now in the Middle East between Iran, Saudi Arabia, and China. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Let me just uh, point out, too, by the way, the top story right this minute on the top of foxnews.com. I just checked the headline sometimes during the break. SVB collapse could only be the tip of the iceberg under Biden's spending policies, says Steve Moore. Steve Moore is a great economist. He was a Trump advisor. Uh, But yeah, former Trump White House advisor and chief economist at FreedomWorks, Steve Moore, said Silicon Valley banks collapse might be the tip of the iceberg for the financial system. Um, He went on to say, where is it? He says, I agree with the president that we don't have an overall banking crisis, meaning he agrees something Biden said. The system is sound. But I do think we have a lot of major banks that are in some trouble. And SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, may be the tip of the iceberg. It's important that we understand how this potential banking crisis happened. It's not because there aren't enough bank regulators, as Biden is trying to say, that figures. It's because of the massive inflation, the trillions trillions and trillions of dollars in borrowing that the federal government has done that has put our financial system in great jeopardy and great peril. All right, while that's going on, New York Post also has a piece. So factor all this together. The Biden economy sucks. Interest rates are through the roof. Bank investments, where they have to harbor their money, are taking hits because they might have invested in bonds, which had the worst year they've ever had in the Biden economy. And then on top of that, you got, you got just trillions of dollars flooding the system. And people are depositing those, and then they're getting put into the wrong places. And then, next thing you know, when there's instability, people start pulling it out. Next thing you know, they can't access everything, or they took losses, $600 billion in losses by banks last year. Story in the New York Post, dated over the weekend. A head of risk management at Silicon Valley Bank spent considerable time spearheading multiple woke LGBTQ plus programs, including a safe space for coming out stories, as the firm raced towards collapse. So, yeah. The bank was real caught up in DEI. It was all about it. They had their safe space catch-up day with the LGBTQ panels from around the world. And, you know, they were, they were doing all these things that were, you know, about their, their first month-long pride campaign. Meanwhile, the bank was moving ever closer to collapse. However, as it moved to collapse, then you combine it with bad management Not only were they overly focused on what I earlier in the show called mission creep, where they were doing things that were beyond the scope of what they're supposed to do, like DEI, which has nothing to do about the return on investment. has nothing to do about shareholder participation or or, or protection. Um, Then you got this one from Fox Business. Silicon Valley Bank gave company-wide bonuses hours before it collapsed. Hours before it collapsed. All the employees received their annual bonuses on Friday, just hours before the government took control of SVB Bank. That's amazing to me. So the bank's shares had fallen by 60% on Friday morning, and they gave their bonuses anyway. Something about that just seems overly tone deaf. And then on top of that, there's another story that I forgot to print out. Top executives at SVB Bank were selling off their own shares in the bank weeks before. They were dumping their personal shares before the t- shares tanked. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, somebody's going to have to go to jail if that's the case. If they if they knew what they were doing, if they were woking out, and then on top of that, they were selling off their own shares to protect themselves, giving bonuses to their employees on the way out the door, celebrating you know Women's History Month by sending the top female executives on a big ski trip, which they did. You look at this and go... What is wrong with you people? Meanwhile, you can't you can't give back people's deposits, but you're spending money on woke agendas, and you know big trips and bonuses. Story in the Washington Examiner: Vivek Ramaswamy, the guy who wrote "Woke," I'm, by the way, I'm reading his book right now. It's really good. "Woke," uh, corp, was it "Woke," "Woke Corporate America," I believe it is. Anyway, um, Vivek Ramaswamy says and he's running for president too says he would not bail out the Silicon Valley Bank. He says the market's got to play it out. The private sector's got to play it out. He says, let the market work here. Let Silicon Valley Bank fail if need be. Home Depot's founder came out and just torched the the leadership of Silicon Valley Bank and warns that we could be in a recession right now and we need to stop putting these woke policies in place. And I'm going to tell you, we, we may not see the end of these consequences that are coming up. Biden's trying to downplay this. You know why? Because it's on his watch. So the Biden administration right now is like, ah, we're going to rush in there. By the way, you didn't hear from him. for He still hasn't gone and visited the southern border for more than three hours. He still hasn't gone to East Palestine, Ohio. But within a day of SVB Bank, he was already lining up an opportunity to speak to the American people. Pray tell why would that be? Because the Biden economy already sucks. And now he's worried that he may have a run on banks on his watch. Well, we're not going to have a run on the banks. I think they're they're going to wind up. People are going to soften up when they realize that the government will bail out anything. But I'll be honest with you, as much as I'm glad that people are going to get their money out of that bank, I am sick to death of the government just printing money, just printing money. Like, do they have enough paper to print the money? And then I go back to what One of our callers, Mike from Huntsville, said earlier, I agree. I'm concerned that they're pushing us towards a centralized control where they can see it, shut it off, give it to you when they feel like, ration it for you, tell you how to spend it or not spend it. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. That's enough of that. Woke banking woes coming up next. Number two of the Triple Dipper the unholy alliance in the Middle East. I'll tell you about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. And we are back, Phil Williams, right side radio, solid, conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. All right. Hey, um, listen, we're going to switch gears here. And I will tell you that the text lines are still going. If you want to text in, 833 687 4448. That's also the number you can call on. It's 833 68 Um, Tell me your thoughts. I got several folks who got thoughts. Remember, we got somebody new on the text line there, too, right at the very top. Uh, Racing from Hawaii. Love the fact that we got a guy in Hawaii that texts in. But Raisin from Hawaii just texted in with regards to the bank bailout says they assumed, I'm sorry, I got the wrong one here. He said, uh, the bank bailout another deep state plan to take more control over we, the people. I agree. I agree. Keep your eyes open. Um, with regards to the unholy Alliance in the Middle East that I am uh, about to start talking about, uh, Brian from Huntsville, Texas, who hold, holds Bagram today? Yep. That would probably be China. Um, Donna from Coleman texts in, said, according to the Wall Street Journal, the FDIC is planning an SVB bank auction. That's interesting. I, and, I, and I figured they would because uh, you've got you got to have a means. That there's got to be somebody in there to actually oversee the selling off of the assets. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, yep. Okay. And uh, is there a name on the new person yet? Not yet. Yes, there is. is it, who is it? Mike from Huntsville. Oh, yeah. oh it's Mike from Huntsville? Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I see. He's the same one that called in earlier. Okay, all right. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate you. You be on the text line too. All right. Hey, uh, let me jump into number two of the triple dipper. I'm calling it the Unholy Alliance. If you have not heard, and, and by the way, this this it's not good that not only had we not heard, <laughs> that it sounds like the Biden administration had not heard, but history was made this past Thursday or Friday when it was suddenly announced that China, China, had brokered a deal to reestablish diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Do you remember a few years ago when Saudi Arabia hosted President Trump for a major state visit and established what appeared to be a new level of relations with Saudi Arabia? A nation that certainly has its warts and blemishes. Of course it does. Some of our other allies also have their own warts and blemishes. And and yet, immediately upon taking office, President Biden referred to them, I think he referred to them as a pariah. i forgot forgotten what exactly he said. But basically he said he didn't like Saudi Arabia, had no intent to really pursue that level. Of, so it just fell apart. It just kind of began to falter. And and we, we lost our standing in the Middle East. If you don't think we lost our standing in the Middle East, which technically Afghanistan is not the Middle East, it's Southwest Asia. But nonetheless, if you don't think we lost our standing in the Middle East with that pullout debacle of Afghanistan, then think again. Because the whole world saw it, and the Middle East especially paid attention. They're like, wow, gum! We thought that the, the way that Obama pulled out of, you know, Obama-Biden pulled out of uh, Iraq the first time, creating the ISIS vacuum, we thought that was bad. And then all of a sudden, he just like jerked everybody out of Afghanistan, lost 13 of his service members in one of the worst days of the war, and then left a bunch of equipment and abandoned a bunch of Americans. And everybody's like, what the heck? Can you even count on America? Well, I don't think you can count on much of America under the Biden administration. I mean, we'll write you big checks, but what are we going to do when it comes down to it? So 1945.com, I go there quite frequently, 1945.com has a headline that says, History Made, China Brokers in Iran-Saudi Arabia reproachment. After more than seven years of estrangement, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Islamic Republic of Iran have agreed to reestablish their diplomatic relations. This major breakthrough between two arch enemies in the Middle East was mediated by the Chinese government, according to both Tehran and Riyadh. China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, has been leading mediation talks with Iran's National Security Council. It gives, here's the the key line, it gives Beijing significant diplomatic clout because they orchestrated the mediation. It does. In the absence of the United States having diplomatic strength in the region, we suddenly find a diplomatic vacuum, and China wasted no time getting it. They They went in both feet. And there's things happening right now where China's doing a lot. By the way, in our own southern hemisphere, down in South America, China's establishing itself around the world. China is literally saying, "Hey, where the U.S. falters, we will show up," and they are. Um, Tehran and Riyadh uh, first had a security cooperation agreement in the in the early 2000s, but it broke off, uh, and especially broke off when the Iranians began funding. The uh, Houthi rebels the, and the Houthis in um, um, Yemen, right there uh, uh, near Saudi Arabia, and it was it was getting ugly. Then there was a major attack on Saudi Arabian oil assets, and about 50% of their oil uh, capacity went down for a period of time in an attack that was, by the way, believed strongly to be because of Iran. So, yeah, there have been no relations. These are enemies. They're in detente. There's serious talk about whether there could be a war between the two and what that would do to the price of oil around the world. But right now we're looking at China stepped in and apparently made it happen. It it doesn't end there, by the way. Xi, apparently, according to a story I just saw a moment ago in the news, uh, Chairman Xi of uh, China is uh, planning to meet with Putin as early as next week. So China, Russia... China now engaging Saudi Arabia-Iran. CBS News reports on the issue, too. After implementing the decision, the foreign ministers of both nations will meet to exchange their ambassadors. The joint statement issued by both Iran and Saudi Arabia calls for the reestablishing of ties, the reopening of embassies. And Chairman Wang could be heard offering in the statement... Wholehearted congratulations for their wisdom. Okay, so what he's basically doing, is they're they're not hiding it. China doesn't want to hide this. They want the world to know. They stepped in where the United States fell out, and they filled a void. It's not good for us, y'all. I I say it on the show all the time. Use the acronym DIME, D-I-M-E, Diplomacy, Information, or Intelligence, Military, and Economic. Those are the four means by which we project foreign power. Those are the four means by which you have influence in the world. Diplomacy in the Middle East for the United States is, is tanking. We can't get a thing done right now. And China is stepping in and making us look like goobers. I'm just telling you. We look like diplomatic goobers right now. Like, who are the, the, the schoolchildren running diplomacy for the Biden administration? What possibly can they do? New York Times reports that this is true. I mean it's it's this bad. It was only 5 years ago that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS they call him, the uh, the the basically the ruler of, of Saudi Arabia, he said in his words with regards to the Iran supreme leader said he makes Hitler look good. That's how bad things are. When the president of one country is calling the president of another country basically uh, a, a Hitler lookalike, that ain't that, that that's not good relations. But last week it says in the world, in, the, in, a, in a development that had the world doing a double take, the Saudis not only reestablished diplomatic relations with Tehran, but they spoke lovingly of each other, sharing one fate. Here's, here's the thing that shouldn't be. It says the timing of the reconciliation was a surprise to many analysts. If that's true, if the Biden State Department was surprised by this, that means we were completely shut out of the process. Now, the New York Times goes on to say, well, now the Saudis kept the uh, Biden administration apprised of the negotiations. Sure they did. So on the one hand, you point out that it was a surprise to many analysts, but they were, they were telling us things as they went along. Sure they were. Sure they were. What's really happened is the U.S. was shut out. In my opinion, you're looking at a, a, at a Middle East, a flashpoint of, of, of war perpetually, where Iran is trying to go nuclear. Saudi Arabia does not want to have a nuclear Iran. The two are in detente. The United States can't get a thing done. So what happens? Our near-peer adversary on the world stage steps in and becomes us, if you will. The United States got replaced by China as China came in and takes the credit for establishing You know, we had the Abraham Accords. Just a few years ago under the Trump administration, the Abraham Accords were bringing peace like we had never seen before, where nations that had been opposed to Israel were signing up for the Abraham Accords. The, the U.S. Embassy was moved to Jerusalem. Things were changing in the Middle East, and they were changing whether Iran was happy or not. As Iran continues to be an adversary and one of the chief exporters of terrorism around the world, And now all of a sudden, China shows up because the U.S. can't get it done anymore, apparently, under the Biden administration. And we look feckless. We absolutely look feckless as China fills the role. I got a little more on this. Tell you what, Boomer, go ahead and take us to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. We'll take the break. We'll come back, finish up this section on the unholy alliance brewing right now in the Middle East. And then top of the hour, we're going to switch gears, talk about big fat money. State Senator Chris Elliott calling in. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. Well, uh, going back to number two of the triple dipper, the unholy alliance brewing right now in the Middle East. China stepping in where the Biden administration has failed and negotiating a brokered arrangement for reestablishment of diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Now, first of all, Am I glad that Saudi Arabia and Iran may have established relations? Maybe. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Iran. Period. I'm not a huge fan of Saudi Arabia, but I'm a far bigger fan of Saudi Arabia than I am of Iran. That's for sure. Iran is 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 not just prone to mischief. Iran is is prone to terror. They they are the chief exporter of terror in in the world, if I'm not mistaken. But I want to make sure that we get this in, breakingdefense.com, breakingdefense.com. The White House says it welcomes the Beijing-brokered Iran-Saudi uh, reproachment, and it's not about China. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's ridiculous. And once again, John Kirby gets trotted out there to, you know, I used to think John Kirby was kind of like smooth and pretty good the more I, more I watch him, the more he just gets under my skin. It's almost like he's condescending to anyone he speaks to. It's kind of like, you know, why would you even ask that question? So the White House spokesman is downplaying Beijing's role in brokering a new agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, saying that while the U.S. is keeping an eye on its greatest geopolitical rival, this is not about China. Yes, it is. That's ridiculous. The very... You got our near-peer adversaries stepping in where we have been the lead for decades. And and brokering deals between people that we have great concerns about and strong relationships with. Saudi Arabia is one of our biggest allies in the Middle East. They are, whether, you know, whether we all like everything that each other does or not. And China steps into our void. It's really not about China. Yes, it is. Yes, it China thinks it's all about China. How about that? China's loving this. China's like, yeah, yeah, how you like us now? In the end, if this deal can be sustained, says John Kirby, regardless of what the impetus was or who sat down at the table, we welcome that. Any effort to de-escalate tensions there in the region is in our interest. Okay, take that road if you want to, but leave off the phrase where you say it's not about China because that freaking is about China. Just get over that. It just is. Um. The joint statement that was put out by Iran and Saudi Arabia says this was part of a noble initiative of the Chinese President Xi Jinping. I guarantee you that was a phrase they were asked to use. I, I, I would feel confident that that's something that the phraseology of that a noble initiative it sounds like something that would come, uh, you know, from a uh, an Asian perspective. Uh, the, the phraseology there, and so they they wanted probably a statement with those those words so they could actually translate it the exact way they wanted it to sound to the people of China. Kirby, who noted this, this is John Kirby, the, 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 the National Security Council spokesperson, who noted that Saudi Arabia kept the U.S. apprised of the talks. Sure he did. You knew about it all along. Everything, hey, nothing to see here. We knew about this. You didn't know about this. We knew about this. No, you didn't. He said he would push back hard on the idea the U.S. had withdrawn from the region in recent years, leaving an opening for China. There's we we're not out of the loop. Not us. What are you talking about? He says, as far as Chinese influence there or in Africa or in Latin America, it's not like we have blinders on. We certainly want China, watch China as they try to gain influence. They just floated a balloon across the entire United States. They just they just took pictures of everybody between Alaska and Carolina. Meanwhile, things keep going on like story from U.S. news here dated over the weekend. Did you know that Iran is buying Sukhoi fighter jets from Russia? <laughs> well, they are. Iran has reached a deal to buy advanced SU-35 fighter planes from Russia, Iranian state media said on Saturday. Sukhoi 35s, they're buying SU-35s. There you go. And then John Bolton, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, according to the New York Post warned that the U.S. is sitting still as China broadened its relationship with Russia after it brokered a diplomatic breakthrough between Iran and Saudi Arabia. China is becoming the backer of all the people and in the vacuum of all the places where the U.S. is waning in influence. According to John Bolton, we are sitting still, and the Chinese, the Russians, the Iran, North Korea, and several others are moving to shore up their relations and threaten us in a lot of different places. It's an indication, he says, that the Saudis and others are trying to hedge their bets with China and Russia because they don't think the United States has the resolve and the fortitude necessary to do what they need to to protect the world against Iran and its intentions. And here's, here's a key point. I, I said that I, the other day on the show, I had, I had a whole section where I covered this very thing. He says, The Chinese have a strategy they've been following. We kind of wander around from day to day. You hearing it? There is no foreign policy. From the Biden administration. There is no strategy how to handle things. There's a hurry up and catch up. That's, that's what they do. They, they, they're constantly, they're reactive. We have a reactive foreign policy, and that's never good. Reactive foreign policies are the kind where things happen like us not knowing that there was a deal, a rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia. This is not good. Meanwhile, we're having to sanction Iran because they have a China-based drone procurement network that is being used to also help fund the war in Ukraine. It goes on and on. Here's the bottom line, folks. The Biden administration has no foreign policy. None. They They have diplomats. The Biden administration has people that say that they work on foreign policy matters, but have you have you ever heard what the Biden foreign policy is? You can go back and look at Trump, and it was it was it was enshrined in America First. You can look at the Bush Doctrine. You can look at, gosh, way back to the Reagan the Reagan Doctrine with you know, peace through strength. You can you can look at you know things like you know Nixon uh, chasing communism. You can look at JFK having a foreign policy. You can look at the Monroe Doctrine if you want to go back in history. And, and what we would do in our hemisphere. What is the Biden doctrine? Nobody knows. And in the absence of a doctrine or a strategy or something cohesive, in the wake of things like the Afghanistan pullout debacle and the Iran nuclear deal debacle and, and the other issues that you see around the world, the world just goes, uh, oh, okay, who else we got? And right now they got China. And China's showing up big. And like John Bolton said, China has a strategy. We are just wandering around. And that's what it looks like. Our foreign policy, the visual image for our foreign policy, is Biden trying to find his way off the stage. That's what it is. How do I get out of here? Which way do I go? That's our foreign policy. All right, folks, we're switching gears, going to number three on the Triple Dipper. Man, boomer. Number three. Wow, going what into the third hour, too. Stop! State Senator Chris Elliott calling in. We'll be right back. Out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio. Solid Conservative, just plain right.
1: You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio solid conservative and just plain right
0: Alabama's syndicated news talk leader Right Side Radio Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios for hour number 3 we got the local the state the national sometimes the international and yeah like the dude said we cover down on all the issues solid conservative and just plain right. We'll go into the phones now. So we're in number three of the triple dipper for the day. Uh, I'm calling it big fat money. We got some big fat money. And, and big fat money comes with big fat problems sometimes. And sometimes it comes with big fat spending requests. Well, uh, I, I saw an article this morning. You know, our, our state legislature, we talked about it last week, is in, they went into regular session and then immediately were called into a special session, paused to the regular, and they are now in special session for the purpose of spending roughly $1.06 billion in ARPA relief money. That's COVID relief money, basically, from the federal government. Uh, Most of the allocations have been requested by the executive branch. I saw an article this morning on 1819 News that State Senator Chris Elliott, who's been on the show several times, um, he had some concerns about whether they should pass, basically, the governor's spending requests as is. And I thought, you know what? I want to hear about this. I want to get State Senator Chris Elliott on here. And uh, so, without further ado, uh, having served now since 2018, representing District 32 down yonder in Baldwin County, uh, let me welcome State Senator Chris Elliott to the uh, to the line. Senator, how you doing?
4: I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for making time. I know you guys are busy, and and what little precious time you have when you're in session to do your actual civilian job is is good. So, thank you for making time. You got it, man. Hey, listen, uh, I saw your article on 1819. I believe it was comments that you had made while you were on Jeff Porr's show, who comes on my show all the time, uh, down on FM Talk 106.5. So let me me ask you, uh, the perception that we have is that the current piece of legislation being considered is really just written for the executive branch, by the executive branch. But you have some concerns, too. Tell me about it.
4: Well, I think that perception is unfortunately probably correct and and if for no other reason uh you know I, I offer as evidence of that the speed at which this is progressing, right? Here's the plan, go pass it and we'll all be home in time for supper. And and with what seems to be still very very few, if any types of uh, type of debate, uh conversation, uh or amendment in the house, I expect this bill Uh, It's passed the House of Representatives um, tomorrow. Uh, It's out of committee. There was only one dissenting vote in committee. Um, Good conservative Arnold Mooney, who I know you know well. Absolutely. um, Who who had some serious questions about it, and they kind of smiled at him and passed the bill. And I expect that to happen on the House floor tomorrow. And then it'll come to the Senate, where I think you do have some senators who are very interested in doing what they're supposed to do, which is legislating um which is questioning which is trying to decide hey is this giant expenditure of uh over a billion dollars inside of uh, a week or two here and uh just a few you know five legislative days or so is that necessarily a good thing um and without any amendment uh from the from the legislature um without any input from the people that you know that we represent and I I, for one, uh, say I don't think that's a good idea. I think we ought to slow this down. I think we ought to take some time. I think we ought to ask—is a good idea to give four hundred million dollars to ADM after we've already given them two hundred and twenty-five million dollars. I think we need to look critically at how that first tranche of money's been spent. I mean, I think we need to look at additional broadband money and say, "Hey, have we actually connected anybody to the internet with the first, you know, couple of hundred million dollars we put out there?" And if not, then do we need to follow that with another? Couple of hundred million dollars. What's you know? Is is it a good idea to give a hundred million dollars to an association, uh, the hospital association? Not saying hospitals don't deserve, it, but you got the association that you're going to give a hundred million dollars to. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are lots of small businesses and and uh, restaurateurs and others that had a hard time during COVID. Are we are we giving a you know a hundred million dollars to the um, restaurant and hospitality association to distribute to their members? So there's a lot of questions. I think a lot of us have. And uh there doesn't appear to be an appetite to uh to answer or even entertain those questions at least not from what I've seen so far. My hope is next or this week as we get back in that leadership will be a little bit more understanding that we've got some members that have some questions and and um and if we don't get reasonable answers to them, then you know, there are options there, uh, as you well know, yeah. uh, to see if we can slow things down a bit.
0: Well, let, let me jump in and and, and say, uh, just the other night, I had the opportunity to be around a number uh, of your colleagues, uh, and uh, apparently your sentiments are shared by others in the Senate body. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's it's amazing to me that a billion dollars can fly through the legislature in a matter of days. And, and there's, you know, there's a certain number of days it has to take. You know, you, you know that I mean, I'm talking for the audience's benefit right now. There's a certain number of days it has to take. Well, they're taking the minimum amount of time. They're, they're, there's literally, and and, I, and granted, a lot of things have to start in the House when they're financially related. But the Senate is supposed to be the deliberative body. The Senate is where things do slow down. And I am very hopeful that y'all are going to come. Because, I mean, you're right, Senator. I mean, it's, Lord, broadband. We are throwing money at broadband. And broadband's important. But broadband has been getting tranches of money in the last few years, and I don't know that we've seen a great deal of connectivity yet. And then you got sewer and water, which a lot of times is us bailing out people who have managed their local systems very poorly, and we're just going to bail them out with ARPA money. Do you see any opportunity? Let me switch gears a little bit. Do you see any opportunity for tax relief? Because our attorney general did fight for and win the opportunity to use ARPA money for tax relief if you want to.
4: Phil, I will tell you, I think that the opportunity for tax relief probably would have come uh, in the first tranche of ARPA money to when we started talking about some revenue replacement funds and some flexibility there. My understanding is that that, that Alabama, that we have chosen to use uh, that, air, that, that money for prisons and prison construction, and that we, we are not able to use Uh, the remainder of the ARPA money for tax relief. Now, that doesn't mean we can't use the $2.7 billion in surplus for tax relief. and We may very well do that um, here once we get back into regular session. But to answer your question directly, no, I don't think we can use uh, the ARPA money for
0: tax money. Well, I mean, I think I think legally you can. The question is whether you want to, and, and and whether you do it here or do it in the surplus in in the regular session. Either way, I just encourage you, and I hope that that's going to wind up happening. I think it's time. I think there's never been a better time. But that being said, I noticed also, uh, Senator, within the the current or the draft legislation that I had a chance to review that the uh, the ARPA funds, going back to the special session you're in, the ARPA funds have a whole section in there of grants, which I assume would be grants that the executive branch has discretion to 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 put out. I could see you all debating the idea of setting this up where the legislature gets to help uh, decide who gets a grant.
4: Sure, or at least what the parameters of those, those grants may be. I mean, and that's, I think, one of the big rubs for me is, not only is the executive branch wanting all of this money, not only is the executive branch wanting to administer the grant process, but they want to come up with all of the, all of the parameters um, for for the grant process as well. And that puts you know somebody like me in a in a in a rough spot because I look at what's happened with the first round of ADM uh, grants that two hundred and twenty five million dollars, not a penny of which was spent in my district. Uh, yeah. the fastest-growing one in the entire state, with more people uh, than than anywhere else moving in. I mean, we've got 8,000 people a year moving to Baldwin County, and the infrastructure needs um, that come with that are significant. And to your point, that's not because of a poorly uh, managed uh, system. It's simply because there are that many new people using the infrastructure, and oh, by the way, generating tax revenue for the state of Alabama, moving here on an annual basis. So. Uh, the legislature in the first tranche of money bifurcated those funds some go to needy folks that are in financial need but then another 100 million should go to these places that can that can match those grants and draw these dollars out and that just unfortunately doesn't seem to be how adem has administered this grants so i'm not really inclined to give them another 400 million dollars Without some assurances that that's going to be handled differently.
0: Well, uh, so in, in the time that we've had, I mean, we can only scratch the surface on this. But you just you just labeled between you and I, we just labeled probably five or six things that could take days of debate if it's done correctly. And I, I just anyway, Senator, having been down there in y'all's shoes, I totally respect what you're doing. Uh, I know that the money is there; we got to spend it, uh, and uh, and this is a true function of government. And y'all are a co-equal branch with the executive, and so I am really hoping that uh, you guys are going to have a chance to debate, to debate hard, and to make amendments that uh, are substantive and maybe even better for for the people of the state.
4: Well, I certainly agree with you, Phil. I I hope that that's what happens. I'm not terribly optimistic, but uh, I hope those like-minded senators that you mentioned earlier uh, come to Montgomery tomorrow ready and willing to uh, mix it up a little bit.
0: Well, I do, too. I look forward to uh, having you or maybe some of your compadres back on to report later. So, hey, man, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you, Senator.
4: You got it. Thanks, Bill.
0: Uh, that was uh, State Senator Chris Elliott, uh, one of the more conservative members of the uh, of the state Senate, um, talking about his frustrations with the fact that we have a billion dollars, a billion with a B, extra money. It's just it's just like, you know, found money and they got to find a place to put it. And I understand that they do. The, the frustrating thing is the executive branch has told them where they want it. Now, it's not uncommon. The governor sends over a budget, then the legislature is the one who has the power of the purse. Well, the legislature has the power of the purse here, too. And there's things they can do. There's checks and balances they can put in place. There are um, perhaps better ways to spend it. I, I look at it right now, and, and I think, you know, you could do some tax relief in here if you wanted to. You could, you could say that the grants that are right now currently allowing the executive branch does have a checkbook to give money to who they think is great. You could say, no, no, actually, the legislature will decide that. Or at the very least, you will set up a commission, and the legislature will share the role with appointees of the executive branch. And then you got on top of that, it's got huge tranches of money for broadband. When does the private sector come in and start building something? Well, how, how much do we have to pay? I mean, it, it, when did you, do, you, do you see government installing your power lines? When do we see the government getting out of having to pay every bit of establishing a broadband network? And then on top of that, you've got massive tranches of money in this that are proposed for sewer and water infrastructure, most of which is going to go to poorly run systems who have sewage coming up in people's yards, not because the people did something wrong, but because the system has been poorly maintained, that's okay. We'll take the money that we got from the state and we'll pay to fix their systems that they didn't maintain well. Meanwhile, all the ones who did maintain their systems well are watching them get money and going, wow. All right, there's that. We're going to come back and talk about it more when we get back. I got big, fat money. I'm talking about big, fat money that people are fighting over and doing weird stuff with, and we'll talk about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Williams, right side radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Hey, I gotta tell you, you've been hearing the ads probably, uh if you're especially in our, our northern part of our uh, syndicated area. Uh, the Elm Foundation, Elm, E-L-M, the Elm Foundation is one of our newest advertisers. And the Elm Foundation, it's pretty cool, really. Check them out. Their website is Elm H S V, as in Elm Huntsville. Elmhsv.org. And they are um, they're an organization that really's got it pretty well figured out on how to help people get out of a very disenfranchised lifestyle you know folks who are homeless or jobless or, or 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 just you know dealing with life issues and not dealing well perhaps sometimes they don't need a handout they need a hand up and the elm foundation does an amazing amount of work with like intensive case management, helping people develop plans, goals, uh, get them their education, get them certified for, for job training they didn't know they could do, you know, finding out where they have assets, um, g- giving them opportunities to, uh, to to find a new life, if you will. The Elm Foundation, and their website is elmhsv, as in Elm Huntsville, elmhsv.org. And I encourage you to check them out. Um, and if you wind up meeting the folks from Elm, tell them you heard about it on the Right Side Radio. Uh, okay, we're still in number three of the Triple Dipper. Just talked to State Senator Chris Elliott. So they're down there in Montgomery right now spending some big, fat money. I'm talking about, wow, they got a lot. So they've got a $2.7 billion surplus in the regular budget. They've got $1.06 billion that they didn't expect that came from the federal government because of COVID. So so the, the $1.06, the reason why this is a big deal is it's it's a set aside. It it has it has stringers attached to it. It doesn't just j- drop into the operating budget. It can't be put into the general fund or the education trust fund. It has to be appropriated and appropriated separately. And then it had parameters on what it could and could not be used for. It's generally designed for things that have to be in some way related to you know relief from the COVID pandemic. Well, wink, wink, nod, nod, you could just look at it and go, nah, what you're really doing is finding your best projects. You're just finding the stuff that you just couldn't quite get to before. But now you got a billion dollars and you got to spend it by a certain date. So what are we going to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. Man, the hospitals had a hard time. Did they? Did the hospital association have a hard time? The hospital association is the lobbying group. The hospital association is the group that takes care of their, you know, their members' needs. Why is why is the hospital association being given money out of this? And then on top of that, the hospitals are we are we actually measuring their losses, or are we just throwing money at them? How much you feel like, fellas? Or are we saying, uh, bring us the receipts? I get it, but wow. And then broadband, and Senator Elliott's right. And in the last you know, number of years that we've been funding broadband, which I am not opposed to helping establish a broadband network, but at what point does the private sector come in and make this happen because they know they'll have customers? I mean, really? At some point, you have to look at it and go, for the love, y'all, you, how many hundreds of millions of dollars are we going to throw on this thing and have we connected anybody to the internet yet? I would that's a great. I would love to know if we've connected anybody to the internet yet with our broadband uh, approach. Uh, and I and by the way, I do like the idea of getting broadband out there. Look what happened during COVID when kids went home and they couldn't log in for their, you know, lessons. But but this billion dollars, I completely agree with Senator Elliott's premise that we should not rush this. In fact, he even said in the article that I referenced from 1819 News, his, his comments on on Jeff Poore's radio show, he said, A lot of people say they don't want to have to stay. He's talking about senators and, and representatives who want to be done. They want to go home for the weekend. He said, It's a billion dollars. It's worth staying for. Where we spend, it's important. How we spend, it's important. He said, I don't have a problem staying and continuing to work on it. I don't like the idea of passing it like it is. There are issues that need to be addressed. So we'll see what happens. He, he he was very pragmatic about whether the Senate leadership is going to say, yeah, fellas, let's take our time. But it's a billion dollars. Y'all don't have to rush the check writing. You don't. Just saying. All right, we're going to come right back. I'm going to stay with Big Fat Money. I've got a, uh, a a couple other things that are interesting that might actually make you pull your hair a little bit. <laughs> yeah, y'all stay tuned. <laughs> Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, just plain right. And we are back, Phil Williams, right side, radio, solid, conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the beautiful state of Alabama. I'll talk about this show is syndicated way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to gas parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Hey, uh, I got a text here, David from Taft, Tennessee. Uh, he says, the Tennessee broadband bill got us off of satellite internet last year and brought us into the 21st century. That's good to hear, and I, I, I'm glad to hear a success story. So, uh, yeah, David, thank you much. That's encouraging, and I'm hoping that we will suddenly see uh, Alabama uh, in the same mode. of. <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you, regardless of what they debate this week, they're going to spend a bunch of that money on broadband. So, by God, we need to start seeing something out of it. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. David, Taft, Tennessee, thank you. Um, I'm in number two of the, you know what? I need to do this first before I start talking about spending money. Let me talk about making money. That would be ZLA solutions. ZLA solutions been with us since this show started. ZLA solutions is got all kinds of business end solutions. They can help you with your logistics, your warehousing, your, your sorting and containment, your quality control, all those things. But their bread and butter, man, is putting people and jobs together, getting that paycheck if you are looking for a job yourself, you can go to their website zlausa.com. They've got good jobs. You can you can look. They're all over. They're posted all over the state. But at the same time, if you're an employer and you've got to fill out the ranks of your own workforce, and you might need just onesies and twosies with special niche skills, or you might need a whole shift of people—blue collar, white collar, no collar—don't matter. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, all of it. ZLA Solutions. They will get you the people that you need. That's their bread and butter, man. They're good at it. And at ZLA, they like to say, we don't make it, we make it better. So yeah, ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And please tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. All right, I am uh, in number three of the Triple Dipper. Big fat money. A couple things you might want to know are happening out there in big fat money spending world. Um, here in Alabama... So when I was in the legislature, there was an issue. Online sales are going through the roof. Nobody in the online sales world knew what to do uh, in terms of collecting sales tax. It's a tax that already existed, but when it was so cumbersome that you couldn't figure out, there was no way to collect it. So, for instance, Amazon.com or something sells things all over the state of Alabama. Every rural, small town, county, county big city, doesn't matter, all over the state, all 67 counties. The problem is there's a state sales tax of 4% on sales everywhere you go, but then the localities all have different ones. Amazon can't keep up. How does Amazon keep up with every single municipality or county local sales tax in 50 states around the nation? It's cumbersome to the point of being unmanageable. So uh, state Senator Tripp Pittman, who was a friend of mine, we were in the legislature together. He pioneered this bill called the SSUT bill. And what we did was Alabama just came up with the formula. We said, okay, here's the deal. Listen, in this place, it's 9% over here. It's 10%. Some places it's 8%. Here's what we're going to do. It's flat. Hey, Amazon and all y'all onliners, it's just 8%. Just, just collect 8% send it to us. We'll figure it out from there. Really? Yeah. You don't have to reimburse, you know, the town of Op, Alabama. You don't. You do not have to, uh, you know, you do not have to figure out what it takes to send something to Phil Campbell, Alabama. We'll take care of that for you. So we came up with a formula, 8% across the board. They send it to us. State gets half. The other half is then divided between counties and cities. Cities are allowed 60% of their half counties get 40% and it's broken down in part by population. And so the, 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 the state of Alabama receives the check every month from all the online retailers that we were never collecting before because no one knew how to do it. And we became the lead in the nation on how to streamline the process. It already existed. It was not a new tax. It was just a tax that they couldn't collect before. Well, that thing has gone through the roof. The reason why Alabama's coffers are doing so well these days is because we set that in place right when online sales were really coming into their own. And then COVID happened and nobody could go to a brick and mortar store and guess where they were ordering from? Online. And guess what happened? We went from 2017 gaining something like $52 million, which was better than we expected, to million in the last fiscal year. Y'all, that's an 1,100% increase. And that's good. That's good news for Alabama. But now, now the predictable is happening. Now the cities and counties are beginning to fight over whether they're getting enough. When big fat money's out there, people want to know if they can get more of it. How do I get some of what you got? So the battle, ale.com has an article, came out yesterday. The battle between the state's largest cities and the County Commission Association over the state's online sales tax program is reigniting as the stakes grow higher over a revenue source that is exploding in popularity. So yeah, the money drops into a one pot and gets divided out by a formula. It's by law. But now the cities are going, hey, I think we want to see a little bit more of a breakdown of like... "Mm." Where the most of these sales are coming from? Pray tell, why would you do that? Well, it helps drive our, you know, our decision making, our, you know, our, our, our economic uh, development and things. Really, that's all you want it for? Just want to see it? You don't want nothing out of it, surely not. Well, what's happening is the County Commission Association says what they really believe is happening is the Big Ten mayors who just came out and said they want to know more about. Where the sales tax originated, regardless of the formula about where it goes, where did it originate? There's only one reason to do that, because they want to change the formula, because they want to come back and go, <clears throat> hey, we need more of that. Look, more of it comes from our cities. You can't, you can't keep sending it to the counties. Well, I got news. It's not going to work that way. There is no way to return to the day when everybody gets a different slice. It's going to have to stick with some kind of uniform measure or it's never going to work. You're going to have a patchwork quilt of options and who gets what, and it's going to it's going to jack the whole thing up. So y'all keep your eyes on this. This is in the weeds for you. This is money. That, this is big, fat money right here. But we went from having a source that you couldn't even get to, even though it already by law existed, to setting it in place. And it became actually very manageable. Other states were calling us going, how'd y'all do that? And we made $52 million on it the first year. Last year, just a few years later, $634 million. Big fat money divided up by the state. All right. So when you have big fat money, though, you get big fat ideas. Fox News has one. That I saw and I thought, if that doesn't fall into a big fat money discussion, I don't know what does. Here we go. Fox News dated today. Governor Newsom's California pushes billions in reparations as state faces a budget deficit disaster. So they ain't doing so good out there in, in, in California in terms of their fiscal position. All right. They face a projected budget deficit, whereas we're spending a surplus in Alabama. What a good problem to have. What a blessing that our people are going down there to Montgomery to figure out how best to allocate a surplus. In California, they're facing a projected budget deficit of $22.5 billion for the coming fiscal year. That's an amazing downturn. But then at the same time, they can't stop themselves. The California Reparations Task Force which was created by legislation in 2020 is weighing out a proposal right now to dole. Are you ready for this, Boomer? How, okay. Uh, uh, did you see the article this morning? Did you read it when I when I when I was doing the resources and you were helping me can print it out? On this one? Yeah. A little bit. All right. If in if in you and I were to live in California right now, all right, and decide to identify as black, okay, how much money would we get each? Oh, uh, it. Yeah, just guess. What would you think?
2: Well, I, I remember someone saying something last week. Was it like three hundred thousand?
0: Yeah, dude. What? Three hundred and sixty thousand dollars is being recommended <laughs> per person. What? How how I mean, how many how many potential recipients do they have among the black population in oh, California? I have no clue. One point eight million. Oh wow. The total, doing the math, and by the way, I'm not doing the math. I'm reading it because <laughs> okay, I, 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 I can, I can add numbers in my head, but not That's like a this. Lot. I ain't the rain man. So, three hundred and sixty thousand dollars per person <laughs> times one point eight million persons comes to six hundred and forty billion dollars. Oh my goodness! And the California Secretary of State thinks this is a cool idea. <laughs> What a great idea. This is awesome. <laughs> this is big, fat money, man. Big, fat money. It says that California can admit its sins and change the narrative. There's a way for it for states and cities across the nation. Sure there is. Sure. <laughs> and by the way, California never had slavery. Never. It never had slavery. Never had slavery. Never did. But they want to fix it. Here's my thing about reparations. I am for anyone getting reparations who has been a slave. If and they've been a slave because of government action,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm for it. Pretty sure they don't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that, the, that slavery is illegal and that all of them who have been slaved during times when slavery was legal are no longer with us. So, it is unclear, says the article, how California would pay for such an extensive project. Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom, who signed the bill creating the task force, Announced in January, they are facing that budget deficit of twenty-two point five million dollars, and and to make matters worse, the California Legislative Analyst Office, uh, that, that's, those are the ones who figure out the money, estimated in a subsequent report that Newsom's forecast undershot the mark by about seven billion. So in other words, it's really more like six hundred forty-seven billion dollars. That's not enough. It's not enough, man. When you got big fat money, what's seven billion more? It's just, it's just, it's just big fat money. Oh my goodness. What else do I got here in the stack before I finish up the show today? And we're in big fat money. Why not? Um, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll, I'll end with this one. Big fat money. I love Senator John Kennedy. That guy cracks me up. Senator John Kennedy came out regarding President Biden's budget. Because you know, President Biden's budget is the most inflated, overtaxed, bulbous. Can you have a bulbous budget? I mean, I, mean my, my, I even got the whole like, bulbous, I'm, I'm, like my my lips are bulbling out. Okay, bulbous, a bulbous budget. Senator John Kennedy slammed President Joe Biden's proposed $6.8 trillion bulbous budget Sunday, saying the only way he knew how to improve it was with a shredder. <laughs> Kennedy rejected claims that the president's budget proposal would solve any of the country's financial problems. He says... This president says his budget will solve our financial problems in Medicare and Social Security. That is not true. Anything seems possible when you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I want to write that on the wall. <laughs> okay. I just, it's the first, in, in a year and a half, Boomer, in a year and a half, uh-huh. this may be the first time. I have saved one of my resource articles uh, because I want to write a quote down later on.
2: That's a great quote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, take me to a break, brother. We'll do the last break of the day. We'll come right back. We got to talk some more in case you missed the early part of the show. Looks like we're doing a right side ruffians Ma- March Madness bracket. We got to talk about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. All right, well, it is go-home time. Some of you already in the car already. Some of you got the keys in your hand. You can smell the barn. Let me, just, let me just suggest something to you. Tomorrow might be that day, that day when you're thinking, okay, I work remotely. Do I have to just sit here in my flannel pants in, in the basement, or can I get out somewhere? Or maybe you're one of those that wants to go meet somebody for coffee and talk business, or maybe you just want a break. Let me just suggest to you this. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. They are not only great on the coffee, and and I mean like good award-winning coffees, or for that matter, what Charlene calls the treat coffees, the, the, the lattes, the espressos, the cappuccinos. They have an amazing food menu. But the other point I wanted to point out to you is they've got a great environment they got the Wi-Fi. Come in and use it. It's designed for you to have space to sit. you got places where you can plug in your laptop. You can meet somebody over in the corner and have a quiet conversation. You can visit with friends, or you can just hang out on your own and reflect and read a book and sort of collect yourself. Just check it out. The environment is as much a part of what they're about. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. And please tell them you heard about it on the Right Side Radio. All right, so uh, I, I will say, closing out this uh, section of the triple dipper, which, by the way, I made all three dippers, boom. All, all of, of them.
2: them. You know what? That, that deserves the, the, the applause. Thank you, my brother. Thank
0: you. Thank, you. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you. I'll be here in the area all day. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the, the closing comment from this, I will tell you. With regards to big fat money and kind of looping back again to the first dipper on woke banking woes. Headline, foxnews.com, dated yesterday, the GOP presidential candidates react to the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Trump blames the out-of-control Democrats. And then just a little while ago, I saw that Biden gave a speech and blamed Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, all of y'all. All All right, the reality is this. We got systems in place, and they weren't working. And we got people that were mismanaging because they were too busy being distracted by woke policies. And right now, the... Entire nation is watching as the FDIC is set off to the side, so we can just bail out another bank and pay a whole lot more than we ever planned on. And it's all on Biden's watch. He didn't want he didn't want anybody to believe that, but it is. Uh, hey, by the way, earlier in the show, Boomer, yeah, uh, March Madness, oh, March Madness. So tomorrow you're going to have a plan for us.
2: We'll have a plan, and there'll be something up on the website on each page. I'll just put it in the the top. Uh, of the website so at any page you can just scroll to the top of it it'll say join us join our bracket right side ruffian bracket just click it and it'll take you to the uh the spot where to sign up and pick your bracket
0: nice yeah super easy so all right so for those who missed it uh pull your camera up boom oh yeah for for, for those for those who missed it um, we are going to do a right side ruffian bracket boomer's idea yeah right side ruffian bracket for march madness he's got an app that we can join in on he'll name the app he'll tell us when you log into the app what group you're supposed to join and we're going to have a we're going to have a right side ruffian march madness bracket even for people like me who don't track basketball at all so i'm i'm going to be taking wild stabs at who i'm probably just going to pick auburn because i'm an auburn fan
2: you know some people just pick their favorite teams i get it i just i just you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and pick him I like I like Let's Bruce Pearl. Big I em. like I, Bruce Pearl's the man. Yeah, Bruce Pearl for president. As far as I'm concerned, Pete. when's he gonna announce? Anyway, um, <laughs> you know what? Though I do like, he is not afraid to speak out on foreign policy. He he puts it out there. He does. That's right. By golly, gets it out there. Yeah. And we won't talk about criminal activity either. We'll leave that. No, alone.
2: we'll leave that one on the leave that. Leave, one leaving on that table. one
0: alone. Um, but okay, so all right, so yeah, we're gonna have a march. We're gonna have a March Madness right side radio ruffian bracket, and the ruffian bracket will be available to you tomorrow. You'll have to sign up pretty quick because the bracket locks on Thursday.
2: It does lock on Thursday. Or the the first ball tip.
0: That's yeah. it's locked. Have they, have they already labeled the games? I guess they have. They
2: have it. All the games are out there, so you get to pick all All the way through so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good time
0: and auburn and alabama both have uh home game opportunities in birmingham i believe for the early part of the bracket i think um that march madness why by the way why hasn't football ever done this something like this i mean they they call it the bcs playoffs it doesn't it's never the same (laughs) it's
2: never it's never the same but they did start doing pick-ems in football now where you can just every week you get to to pick teams which is kind of fun too even for college it's not quite the same. It's not. It's not the You'll March Madness. You'll get to Madness. build your
0: bracket and sit around and look at it.
2: Eventually, and... they're going to have a. I think the twelve team. I think in a couple of years, they said they're going to a twelve team bracket are for really? the championship. I think that's correct for football. All of NCAA. All NCAA. We'll see. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, more to come. <laughs> more to come. More, more to, to come. come. All right, and we're we are working on swag. Yes. So we're working on swag. So the winners of the Ruffian Bracket for March Madness. There will be swag involved, and we got a new batch of T-shirts, and who knows what else we might be able to throw in there. All right, you guys, have an amazing night. Phil and Boomer signing off. We'll see you tomorrow at 2. Take care. Right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right.